So if you have your Bibles with me, let's get, get our Bibles. We're going to be opening up to John chapter 2. If you missed um, John chapter 1 last week, um, Reverend Father Jeffrey had us in, in John chapter 1 last week, and we are starting this new series going through the book of John. I keep needing to hold this because he's pulling on it, and this is not nailed down. So, A um, couple reasons as to why we are going through the book of John coming out of Hebrews. Um, the book of Hebrews, I hope that you all enjoyed learning through the book of Hebrews as much as we enjoyed teaching through it. Um, we want to read a gospel that shows us the naturally supernatural life of Jesus and the fact that Jesus, as, as a story that we're going to read tonight, that I want to ask you that you don't get into a place of where it's like, hey, I've, I've heard this, I know this story. Um, if the Word of God is living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, we could read the same verse for the rest of our lives and it has the capacity to cut us all over again. It's always sharp. It never loses its dullness, or never loses its sharpness, and it never, and it never gets dull. So it, it doesn't matter how many times we've read a familiar section of Scripture, we can read it with the same expectation that when you get close to a sharp blade and put your hands on it, it's going to cut you. Amen? And that's a good thing. So a couple reasons as to why we're getting into this. We want to discover the life of Jesus as him being naturally supernatural, first thing. We want to discover Jesus as our inheritance. Jesus is our goal. Jesus is the reason why we are showing up here. Jesus is the reason why we are going onto the campus of IUPUI. Jesus is the reason as to why we gather on Wednesday mornings. And Jesus is the reason as to why we do Thursday nights. We are learning to minister to him and live out the gospel every day. And we personally feel that the book of John, uh, out, out of every gospel, does, does no better job than the book of John of introducing us to the humanity and holy divinity side of the character of Jesus. So as we get ready to dive in, let's just pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for John chapter 2. Lord, thank you that um, if we are reading this without you, it's just words on a page. And we need to understand by you. Holy Spirit, I need help to read it and speak it. Convict us with your word. Cut us. Correct us if need be. Bring us into the mysteries of the kingdom through this word. And I pray over the atmosphere, over the room, even over the air of this room, that the prince of the power of the air has no room for this word to be released, and then for it to land in any weird way, that every single person's ears in here tonight are ripe and soft, and their hearts are ready to receive the holy word of God tonight. So we thank you for the atmosphere of this room being covered with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, John chapter 2, here we go. Now on the third day, Jesus' mother went to a wedding feast in the Galilean village of Cana, Jesus and his disciples were all invited to the banquet, but with, so, <clears throat> excuse me, but with so many guests, they ran out of wine. And when Mary realized it, she came to Jesus and asked, they have no wine. Can't you do something about it? What's funny to me, and I'm going to grab this water. I'm getting over a cold, y'all, and my throat is going on me. What I think is funny about this encounter 
is when Mary says, hey, can you, can you do anything about this? That piques my curiosity in saying, so at, at this point in time that we know of, that, that scripture cares to include us in, no miracles have been done. Jesus is getting ready to admit it here in just a minute. Like, no, no miracle signs and wonders that we know of have happened yet. What would lead her to believe, hey, can you do something about this? Other than the fact, well, she was literally pregnant with God. Like, that's probably a dead giveaway that she knew he could do something about this. But it brings my curiosity into it. Like, clearly she knew she could. Clearly she knew he could. And she, she knew that there was an aspect of faith before anyone else had a chance to that she could tap into to the miracle power working power of Jesus, of God himself in human form. She had a revelation that no one else had yet. What I think is fascinating about that is there's other people like this in the life of Jesus that get these glimpses of the character and heart of Jesus before anyone else gets them. John, John was one of them. Do you notice at the Last Supper, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, reclining, leaning upon Jesus. I, I did a, a study on that verse one time because I, I wanted to just understand the language of what was happening there. And it literally means that John was literally laying in, in between. He was laying in between Jesus. That John was literally reclining against Jesus, laying in between him. Like he, he was laying upon him. I, 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 there's some people in my life that I know well. I don't even think I know them well enough to, to posture myself that way. But... This is great. You can see how professional we are here. <laughs> I'm so off track right now. It's not even funny. Here, dude, take those to mom. Take those to mom. And so, we'll see if he makes it. <laughs> and so what I love about this is that there's a couple of other people in Scripture that you see get a glimpse of Jesus and get to have access to him before Jesus ever makes it like, no, like known, you have access to me in this way. I believe that Mary was one of them, and I believe that the, that the disciple and apostle John was, was one of them. Because when they're sitting at the Last Supper, John reclining against the, the chest of Jesus, which we'll, we'll get to that chapter eventually, when Jesus is announcing that someone is going to betray him, Peter leans to him and says, hey, ask, ask him who it is. Ask him who does it. And if you read on, John is the only one that was unbothered by that statement. He was the only one that was unbothered by Jesus bringing up something like that because he wasn't concerned by it. And oftentimes, when we have lives that are looking at spiritual development, developing myself spiritually rather than spiritual rest in a finished work, we will fail to experience and enjoy Jesus. While John was enjoying Jesus, Peter was freaking out and navel-gazing at his right standing, wondering if it was going to be him. And he literally, and we all, we all know what happened with Peter, he denied the Lord three times, 
While Peter was concerned with answers, John was resting upon the answer. And Peter's looking for answers and solutions. And Peter is looking for all these different things. John is just resting in the fact, like, I don't need answers. I have the answer. I'm laying upon the answer. I'm resting upon the answer. We are responsible. The measure of the presence of God that you have in your lives right now, which is the fullness of him, how much you experience in this life of that presence of Jesus, 100% is entirely up to you. It's entirely up to you. And the reason, if, you, if there's a thought that comes into your brain right now of, okay, well, well why do we cry out for more? Like, why, why do we cry out for more? We're constantly, we're, we're praying for more. We're asking for more. I, I love prayers for more, and I, I always want to pray for more. I always, dear Lord, help me. I want to be hungry always. But, if, but oftentimes, my prayer for more just models the unbelief that I am living in to improperly steward what it is that I have right now. Does that make sense when I, when I say that? I'm not saying it's wrong to ask for more. We should ask for more. But before I ask for more, I want to be between the Lord and I and, and, and ask the presence of Jesus in my life right now, the measure that I've been given right now, am I even stewarding that well? Am I even stewarding what I have now well? Because Jesus is, does, does not hold back a single moment, a single ounce of his life from us. He freely gives it. He, when, when, when the veil was torn, as, as we will read in this gospel, when the veil was torn in, in the temple, bringing us into the Holy of Holies, it wasn't accidentally ripped. It was torn, signifying direct access. I don't ever want to cry out for more when I haven't even stewarded what he has given me first right now. And that, and that is our responsibility. Romans chapter 12 would say it is our reasonable act of service. It is, it is a holy act of worship. They have no wine. Can't you do something about it? Jesus replied, my dear one, don't you understand that if I do this, it will change nothing for you, but it will change everything for me. My hour of unveiling my power has not yet come. When I read this, I'm convicted of a couple of things. Oftentimes, and these are some things, guys, I can't even, I can't even tell you how severely I'm being challenged and learning these things I'm about to share with you from, from this right now in, a, in an extremely convicting way. I love this, that when Jesus says, my dear one, don't you understand that if I do this, it will change nothing for you, but it will change everything for me. My hour of unveiling my power has not yet come. There have been times in my life that I, I so badly want to be used by God more than I want to be loved by God. And, and, there, and, and there is a difference. If I have more of a desire to be used by God rather, to, rather than to simply be loved by God. And when, and when I say, well, what do you mean being loved by God? The posture of John at that Last Supper, fully content, fully satisfied in the person of Jesus. He's wanting more, but he's also resting and fully happy and content with what he has. Oftentimes, 
if, if, I, if we, if I have more of a desire to be used by God than be loved by God, my very acts and efforts of ministry are ultimately just pride and vanity with a more holy label put across it. Everyone wants to be used by God. Everyone wants to be used by God. Very few people want to be loved by God. Do you want to know why that is? I believe that in order to be truly loved and seen and known by God takes vulnerability of the heart that when you get close to it, when you get close to Jesus, you may not always discover him as the lamb. You may discover him as a lion that is also a burning bush that when you come close to him and he asks to hold you, he begins to burn off of you and burn away from you the things that you dislike most about yourself and it's not always pleasant man well why would I really want to be close to a savior like that well why would why would I even want to get close to him then personally I believe because love makes no sense at times love makes no sense at times and what is painful in the moment and what is painful in a process of something that the Lord is doing in you is ultimately with your good and with eternity in mind. Philippians chapter 1, Jeremiah 29, if you're wondering where I'm pulling that, where, pulling that from. And oftentimes, our desires of Jesus, use me. I want to be used by you. Let me, let me be used by you. His desire for first love intimacy is, is cold, and his jealousy is unsatisfied. And what's crazy about this is for his own namesake, as Psalm 23 says, for his own namesake, he will lead us in paths of righteousness. He, he will let you work for him. He will let you do great things in his name. Because his own name is the most important name and is the most important thing that we could ever talk about and gather around. It's, it's literally, it's, it's that holy. It's that revered. You can go your whole entire life working for him and never know him. I forget who once said it. There's a super old Christian author that said, no amount of service for the king will make up for absence of actually loving the king. No, no amount of service will make up for actually not loving the king. I think she actually says no amount of service in the kingdom will make up for an, for an absence of fellowship with the king in his kingdom. And it's really easy, it is, it's, it's really easy to have good works. It is. Any, any one of you in here that are burdened over a desire for holiness, righteousness, and a pursuit of these things, you are not called to produce fruit, you are called to bear fruit. There's, there's a wild difference in that. I'm, I'm learning this right now. There's a wild difference in living a life attached internally in this internal secret place where I'm attached to the one through whom all of the work flows and everything productive happens. And then my, my Christianity is no longer self-seeking, fault-finding, like re re repair mode constantly and I come into the secret place and I never get to touch him because I can't look past my own flaws and failures. I've simply learned the one who is the vine, who I am to stay connected to through surrender. And this a phrase that's not 
popular in a lot of New Testament churches today because we think it's overly religious, and there are some people that have made it really weird and really overly religious, but I say this appropriately, a death of yourself into life. Not a death to yourself into boredom and stupid things that look holy but is really just prepackaged self-righteousness, but a death into a life of romance. And I know that that sounds like a paradox. It's like, how, how could that possibly exist? When I married my wife, there were things that I, I no longer do anymore because it's, it's not my life. It is our life. It's not, it's, it is literally not my life anymore. I've said this before. You will probably hear me say it every single time I teach because I'm, I'm honestly learning this about myself. I, I'm honestly learning that I think I have one message that anytime I teach, it's just going to be the same message over and over again just with different scriptures around it. And I'm learning that like I'm, I'm okay with that. And I think the Lord is okay with that. And it really is, is that every single one of you in here are married to the Lord. There, there, there's a reverent holiness that comes along with that lifestyle. And by the way, it is not burdensome and it is not heavy. My hour of unveiling my power has not yet come. <clears throat> before we learn, this was the other one I was going to share, before I learn to stand with him or stand for him in public, I must first learn to lay with him in private. If, I'm, if I want to stand for the Lord in public, I must first learn to lay with him in private. Because my, my public life will never be able to support my private life of where I have not been and have not rested with the Lord. I would wager to say, if any of you in here, and, and this is, by the way, this is not just, it, technically, if you are saved in here, you are in full-time ministry, Business, labor, banking, full-time student, full-time mom, full-time dad, whatever it is, whatever it is that you do, pastor, worship leader, have you ever noticed, like sometimes just, just you, you get done, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think about the way how to put this, you get done doing something, um, whether, it's, whether it's ministry related, church related, service to someone else, or um, you come home from some, like, something related with that. There's, just, there, there's this internal, like maybe there's just like this tiredness, this heaviness upon you from just like you're just, you're just pouring out. You're, you're pouring things out. You're giving of yourself. And maybe this is a super bad example because it probably is. I would wager to say, and I would like to suggest to us that it is possible to live life in a constant overflow rather than a constant deficit. And, I don't, and, I'm not, and that's not like some prosperity gospel thing. I'm just saying I see that modeled in the life of Jesus. And if I see it in the life of Jesus, it doesn't give me something to admire. It gives me something to imitate. Because Jesus did everything that he did fully as a man, fully God, but also fully man. A lifestyle of 24-7, 24-7 rest, I truly believe 100% is available all the time. I, 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 and, and I don't believe it matters what is going on around you. I don't believe it matters. Like I, I, I truly believe you could be in a, in a, in a rave somewhere and, and, and even there give your attention just, just to the Lord. 
Just, just turn the attention of your heart to the Lord. <clears throat> After Jesus had said, the unveiling my power, that my hour of unveiling my power has not yet come, Mary then went to the servants and told them, whatever Jesus tells you, do it. Nearby stood six stone water pots meant to be used for the Jewish washing rituals. Each one could hold about 20 gallons or more. Jesus came to servers and instructed them, fill the pots with water right up to the very brim. Then he said, now fill your pitchers and take them to the master of ceremonies. When they poured out their pitchers for the master of ceremonies to sample, the water had become wine. When he tasted the water that had become wine, the master of ceremonies was impressed with its quality. Although he didn't know where the wine had come from, only the servers knew. He called the bridegroom over and said to them, Every host serves his best wine first until everyone has had a cup or two. Then he serves the cheaper wine. But you, my friend... You reserved the most exquisite wine until now. This miracle in Cana was the first of the many extraordinary miracles Jesus performed in Galilee and that revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. As we keep reading on, go to verse 12. After the wedding, Jesus, his mother and brothers, and his disciples traveled, traveled to Capernaum and stayed there for a few days. When the time was close for the Jewish Passover to begin, Jesus walked to Jerusalem, and as he went into the temple courtyard, he noticed it was filled with merchants selling oxen, lambs, and doves for exorbitant prices, while others were overcharging as they exchanged currency behind their counters. So Jesus found some cords and made them into a whip. By the way, next time someone says, what would Jesus do, just know. Flipping tables and freaking out is probably an option. <laughs> so Jesus found, I'm just kidding, that's not true, that's horrible. So Jesus found some cords and made them into a whip. Then he drove out every one of them and their animals from the courtyard of the temple. And he kicked over their tables filled with money, scattering it everywhere. What I think is funny about this chapter is the way these stories line up. You've got Jesus in the first half, life of the party. Like, I mean, like, let, let's, just, let's just call it for what it is. He is, this is not an advocacy for, for drunkenness. If you think that's what I'm saying, then you don't know me at all. But he's literally aiding people getting drunk that are already more drunk. He's producing something that they, there was no need for this. They wouldn't even have known a difference. Jesus created wine that was of the level and the degree that it was simply be, just because Jesus doesn't know how to do anything that is not outrageously scandalous. He doesn't know how to do anything that is not over the top. He doesn't know how to do anything that is not good and better than good. He, he doesn't know how to do that. I shouldn't say that he doesn't know how to do it. I should just say he chooses not to do that. It brings Romans 8.28 into a whole new definition and meaning that he causes all things to work together for good for those that love Christ Jesus and are in him. 
And then fast forward, you have Jesus in the temple, and Jesus is freaking out, driving all these people out, flipping tables, driving animals out, because they've turned the Lord's house into a place of business, rather than what the Lord's house should be. If you want to know the posture that we should take in the Lord's house, go to Psalm 27 and read, this is what the purpose of the Lord's house is to dwell and sit and adore him and behold him forever. And I, what, and I, I, just, I think it's interesting that we see this one picture of Jesus and then this other picture of him and we have to be confronted with the fact of his jealousy for a people to know him. Amen? <clears throat> Verse 16, he told the merchants, get these things out of here. Don't you dare commercialize my father's house. Don't you dare commercialize my father's house. You want to know what is sobering about that line? Is that as we read on in scripture, we see an encounter of there's this group of people that come to the Lord and say, hey, we did all of these things. We did all of these works. We did amazing things for your service. Healed people. Maybe even some people got saved along the way. Beautiful, amazing things happened. And the Lord says to them, depart from me, I, I never knew you. How horrible would it be <clears throat> that we did all of the things <clears throat> that commercialize as Western church today? We sing a couple songs throw in a couple random cool stories, throw in a couple of service projects, get our volunteers really burned out because we never actually teach them how to lead, how to lead from overflow. We just teach them how to lead from burnout. <laughs> we have a structure that is built off of gifting rather than the presence and we turn the house of the Lord into an activity and just into another place that we go and something else that we do and there's, there's, there's no holiness attached to it. And this is, and this is not, and when, when, I, when, I, when you hear holiness, I don't want you to hear something that we're not doing that all of a sudden we're going to start doing. I've, I've defined this for us so many times. Holiness is not something that we pursue more as it is first something that we lean back into. It is first something that you become, not something first that you do. And my, the sobering thought in this, don't you dare commercialize my father's house. Do you want to know why? And you've, if, you've, if you've been around our culture on Thursday nights long enough, you've, you've probably heard us say this phrase a lot, that the Lord is the leader, the Lord is the leader, the Lord is the leader. That's not just something that we say because it's like, it sounds really holy and, and scriptural. The Lord is the leader. And if we can say it enough, it'll sound really humble and it'll, it'll be like something no one else has ever said. There's a lot of people that say that the Lord is the leader of their lives. But the way that I posture my heart before him when he walks into the room or when I walk into the room to be with him, that's, that's all the evidence I need who really is the leader of my life. 
I talked to you guys about this last, not last week, uh, when we were closing out Hebrews 13, caring for your hearts. That you're not your own. You don't belong to you. And if we don't belong to ourselves, this meeting, this gathering, even the prayer set that is going to happen tomorrow morning, it's like it's, it's, it's scary when you realize it's, it's not ours. Resources that don't belong to us. It takes stewardship into a whole new realm of understanding. Like you, you're, you're taking care of something that is not yours. And we want the Lord to be the leader because practically, like just being honest, like no one, I know it may sound stupid to say, no one knows how to lead better, better than him. And it would be stupid if you saw a sheep leading its shepherd instead. That would be, it would be backwards and it wouldn't make sense. We look to Jesus because he's not only the leader of the gathering and the leader of the church, he is the leader of our lives. And we don't want to do something that is based out of, well, this, this is attractional. We will do this and market this and leverage this. We will commercialize encounters. We will commercialize the presence. And worse, when we get to a point of where it's really good, we'll actually then begin to do things that we place a price tag on them rather than freely you've received, so freely give. And, was, and what was meant to be stewarded and enjoyed freely, we put a price tag on it, we commercialize it for some type of really weird sense of gain. I would like to say that I think that that's, I would like to suggest to us, I think that that's because first love has no longer become the true north in our hearts and we just, we just want to be used by him. We want to do it right. We want to get it right. And by the way, don't, I'm, not, I'm not pooping on being used by the Lord. I, want, I, I pray that all of us are used by the Lord in mighty, outrageous ways that even your definition of powerful, it just it blows it out of the water. <clears throat> they will know that we are his because of our love. There's plenty of scriptures, my, my Lord, plenty of scriptures that point to what a heart on fire, a life on fire looks like. Just are my works filled with the Spirit or not? Because I know how far I can go, and it's pretty pathetic, and it's pretty worthless. But when the Lord lands on it and ascends on it, it, it takes something natural and makes it supernatural. It takes a random conversation and turns it into a divine appointment. It takes going to Dairy Queen, we're going to go get a cake, into, well, I think they left right now, but still, we'll celebrate in his honor. It takes... Like, oh, why are we going to do this? I don't know, just, just because. It's a naturally supernatural moment because it's filled with the Lord. Don't you dare commercialize my father's house. That's when his disciples remembered the scripture. I am consumed with a fiery passion to keep your house pure. Then the Jewish religious leaders challenged Jesus. What authority do you have to do this sort of thing? And what supernatural sign will you show us to prove it? <coughs> Jesus answered, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it up again in three days. Then the Jewish leaders sneered at Jesus' answer. This temple took 46 years to build, and you mean to tell us that you will raise it up in three days? But they failed to understand that Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. The disciples remembered his prophecy after Jesus rose from the dead and believed both the scripture and what Jesus had said. While Jesus was at the Passover feast, 
the number of his followers began to grow and many gave their allegiance to him because of all the miraculous signs they had seen him doing. But Jesus did not yet entrust himself to them because he knew how fickle human hearts can be. He needed no one to tell him about human nature for he fully understood what man was capable of doing. That takes us to the end of chapter 3. Y'all, as we're um, closing in this tonight, there's a couple of things I want you to walk away from tonight, carrying these in your heart, going throughout the rest of your week. The Lord wants you to be used by him, 100%. But when we get to the end of John chapter 14, when we get to the end of that, he says, a helper is coming. Wait for him. Receive and steward that power. Don't ever seek to be used by God first before you enjoy being loved by him. Your works will go so much further because they will actually be filled with life. There will actually be something attached to it. Second thing, Jesus, and I know that it seems like in this passage, Jesus walks into the temple and he's ticked, and he is, like he was burning with zeal and he's flipping tables, driving everything out. You don't get mad over something that you don't care about. You don't get mad over something you don't care about. These people were doing the surface level things that he's like, this is, not, this is not worship. This is not intimacy. This is not the Lord at all. Like, what are you doing? You've turned my house into something that it's not. I want you to read that and take away from it that strictly and, and first and foremost, Jesus is just, he's simply just jealous for you. He's just, he's jealous for you. He's jealous for your attention. He's jealous for you to be delighted in him. And he's jealous for you to discover exactly who he is and how outrageously kind and gentle and lowly he actually is. He's not getting mad over something that he doesn't care about. And then the third thing, I feel like I almost, even, I almost even shouldn't even be talking about it just because of, of how much I'm learning it. Before we ever want to stand with him in public, we must learn to lay with him in private. I cannot, I cannot, cannot stress that enough. I cannot stress that enough. The only thing that matters in, in life, the only thing that matters in life, knowing and enjoying Jesus it's the only thing. Seeking first the kingdom of God, everything else will be added unto that. He makes it really simple for us. He makes it really simple for the New Testament church. Are you guys with me on that? Is all that making sense as I break it down that way? Awesome. Right, let's, let's stand to our feet as we close here right now. Jesus, we thank you for your word, a challenging section of scripture to read as we see this like huge different array of, of your character, your zeal, your passion, your holiness, your desire for people that are uncompromising. Lord, I know that it's, that it's a heavy word and it's a heavy message and I ask that if I have shared or communicated anything tonight, that was not in step 
with the message and new covenant of grace. Please remove it from people's minds, remove it from people's ears, and make it not even be allowed to walk out the door with them tonight. But anything that cut, anything that felt like a sear to their hearts, that they would investigate that. They would dive into that. They would say, Jesus, show, show me more of that. that. That cut a little bit more than what I would have liked it to. Or I sense an opportunity here of something that I want to grow into. Lord, I, I need that so badly, it scares me. The closer I get to you, the more that I realize I don't even think I was that close to you in the first place because I'm just only aware of how much more I need you. That's like that's a sobering thought, and it really does. Like It, it messes with me sometimes. It messes with me sometimes. I'm asking that the new covenant of grace would be a yoke upon every single person's neck and life as they leave here. As Proverbs chapter 3 says, that we would tie these things around our neck in remembrance. As we leave here this week, bring us back to John chapter 2. Help us read things and receive things that are so deep and so beyond me, I, don't, I wouldn't even know how to communicate them because... I'm, I'm, I'm learning and discovering them myself. Lord, as a, as a community, we thank you for prayer at IUPUI tomorrow. Thank you that we are going there because we wholeheartedly believe that you've led us to be there. We want your jealousy to be satisfied in the midst of a college campus. Lord, we th I thank you for every single person that has come here tonight. And as they leave here, they would leave here sensing the heart of the Father that is whispering or maybe even yelling like it, it's, it's so abrupt they can't even take it. Or maybe it's so subtle they have to get quiet to hear it. Come away with me, come away with me, come away with me. And we would just answer you freely. We would just give our hearts to you freely and not play hard to get. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for tonight. We bless your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.